Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast, where each week Pastor Anar Ram and Elder Roger Prather will be diving into the weekly lesson from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The congregation at the College Church has made it their motto to love, grow, and serve. We really want to learn to love more, grow more, and serve more. It is our hope that through these conversations, we can learn to better serve our congregation, our local community, and the world. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you are blessed with today's conversation. Welcome to the next installment of the College Church Sabbath School podcast. And uh, we are looking at the book of Ephesians, which is amazing, amazing, very relevant very thought-provoking and soul-probing book. And today you're really going to get that sense as we look at this lesson, which focuses primarily on Ephesians chapter 4. So the subtitle here is The Unified Body of Christ. And I'm Anar Ram, and with me are, on my right is... Roger Prather. On my left... Thomas Bloom. And with that, I'm going to begin our session here with a prayer I came across, which is very germane to our lesson. So I invite you to uh, pray with me. Maker of all, let us not lose sight that we and every human being you have made are created in your image. Never let us doubt this about ourselves. Never let us doubt this about any other man or woman for to do so denies you the glory that is due your name. Your likeness glimpsed in us testifies that we belong to you, body and soul. Amen. Amen. So that leads into Ephesians chapter 4. And as I was looking at this, I said, wow. I mean, this, if we could, uh, Tom and Roger, if we could really personify, put flesh and bones on these words, it would be sort of a a paradise. And and so I think the best way to approach this here is to begin walking through this 16 verses. So I'm thinking maybe let's go through maybe four verses at a time and then pause and just discuss and share our thoughts here and begin our conversation. So um, I'm going to begin. Actually, Roger, would you read for us uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6, please? Certainly. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to be one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. That, and indeed, right there is almost poetical. And when I read through this earlier, that first sentence reminds me of an expression that I heard years ago where, and I've, I've probably shared it before, but he said, I used to complain that I had no shoes till I met a man who had no feet. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, you know, here's the church in Ephesus. They've got their gripes and they're complaining. But the man writing them is in chains. <laughs> He's in chains. And so it's like a, one of those perspective-altering moments. And it says, wait a second, let's do a reality check. What's really going on here? And it's interesting, what are some of the characteristics, Tom and Roger, that uh, really Paul is encouraging the believers to have in their own lives? Well, in my version, it talks about long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, which always kind of jumps out at me because, you know, it seems sometimes that 
that's the last thing that the church is about. And I, I find it edifying in my own way to say that even way back in Ephesus, a church that was clearly, you know, one among many and yep. was struggling with its own its own growing pains, so to speak. Yep. And you had I mean, okay, so you don't say things unless there's a reason to say them. Correct. And Paul mm-hmm. clearly, you know, there might have been even though there was, you know, beating on the walls on the outside of the church because of the way that Ephesus was, which we've covered in other podcasts. There might have been a little bit of internal struggle going on inside the church as well. Yep. And Paul goes, hang on a second, people. We're, we're here for each other. Yep. I mean, there's too much out there to have the same level of disruption going on inside the church. And if I can just draw a parallel to our present day, that's exactly what's going on here in you know, present day America or wherever you're anywhere in the world that you're listening to this podcast. I mean, and so in, you know, long suffering, bearing with one another in love, be patient with your fellow church members. Yeah. Okay. Because they need the love of Christ as much as the people on the outside do sometimes even more. You know, Tom, as you're saying this, a thought occurred to me that it's interesting. Paul didn't say, uh, okay, guys, go out, get a Xerox machine and or scrolls, and just write out all my letters by the hundreds, and hand them out to people wherever you find them, and then and then you just go to your home, and you just keep reading, and you just live your life by yourself. It, well, could you imagine? It doesn't say that. No, but could you imagine? Okay, so the Ephesians, they get this letter. Yeah. All right, we have the. You know, and I'm not saying that they didn't read the book that, you know, the letter that went to Romans or mm, Philadelphia yeah. or any of the other ones that he wrote. Yeah. But that wouldn't have showed up for a while. So effectively what they had is they had this letter from him as their template. That's a good point. You know, and they didn't we in today's world are like we have all of his letters <laughs> to every church and then we get to pick and choose. Oh, well that's part of our church and that No 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 no. If he wrote and we talked about this in one of our podcasts, if he wrote us just us at College mm, Church mm. of of South South Lancaster. What would be the contents of the letter, just to us? Yeah, yeah. You know, it would be very, very different, or yeah. very much the same. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's a good. It's almost a scary point, and and uh, how does it apply to us? But it's interesting. He gives sort of an ingredient list, and it's interesting that the first phrase. Be completely humble and gentle. Wow. I mean, that's almost needs some time to marinate. We need mm-hmm. to marinate in that. And the Corley does point out that humility isn't thinking lower about yourself. It's to count others more significant than yourselves. And you see, that's, that's kind of a hard concept for us to grasp because we think there's limited resources. And, well, if I... If I'm thinking more of you, that means that puts me low on the totem pole, but that's not what it's saying. Well, yeah, that's the that's the secular viewpoint. That's right? a secular viewpoint. And there is enough love to go around where, no, if we just think others of the, better of others, we're going to be okay. Well, and here's the point that I've been pulling into my head as well. Okay, so on some level we say, okay, well, there's plenty of love and all the rest of that sort of stuff. The Bible doesn't seem to suggest that God only takes care of your spiritual side. Absolutely, okay. you're right. Now, you're right. I didn't win the Powerball. <laughs> right? Okay. I was wondering, you know. <laughs> but but God says he'll give you what you need, not what you want, not the level of comfort that you mm-hmm. might have come to expect. But By the way, thank God you didn't win. Right. <laughs> I have to just add that. All right, I don't know where you are on this, but I just anyway, go anyway. ahead. But I mean, so we have the story of a, uh, you know, Elisha going to the widow, make me a meal. Oh, I can't because it's our last one and my son and I are going to die. You know, mm-hmm. she was fully prepared to accept her fate and God didn't like roll out the red carpet for her, but mm-hmm. she didn't she didn't starve either. No. So, you know, 
I don't want to just stick with the spiritual realm and say, God, well, you know, there's endless resources in the spiritual realm for us. No, I think there's endless resources for what can glorify his name as well. So what does glory mean, though? And that's where I think this feeds into, leads back back into this concept of humility and gentleness. Because when, when we experience that, we are really, in essence, experiencing the presence of God. When we see real love and humility and gentleness, patience and, and, and kindness, I mean, that is, because that's what we know, that we, I believe it's in Galatians, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know. And I, and I can definitely concur with that. Okay, so as an educator, yep. I know my wheelhouse. Yep. I don't teach elementary school kids. Yeah. Okay. Because I don't have the gentleness of spirit required (laughs) (laughs) to deal with, you know, that's when I I have huge respect for elementary school teachers who I've observed and you sit there and you watch them and just the patience over Mm -hmm. and over and over and over again. And you stare at that and you say, that's true patience right there. Yep. Because I know how I would be. Yep. Yep. So have you, and, and that's, Really, when you think about it, I'm glad you brought that to our attention, Tom, because we all were elementary school students. We've all been there. And there was that teacher who gently, humbly taught us two plus two equals four, you know? And it just, you know, know, to us it's logic at this point, but at one point it was kind of maybe a harder thing to grasp. So this is what Paul is telling the church and again, we go back to this fundamental thing that this isn't just a lofty idea. Oh, I, I'm saved. This is good. I'm done. Check. Um, I'm good to go. No, we're part of the body. Mm-hmm. And how we relate to each other, how we live together, how we have community together is of crucial importance. So. I haven't said anything. I know. I'm waiting. This has been. I'm getting a little nervous here. <laughs> well, no, because you guys, you guys, cover nuts and bolts, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're like a nuts and bolts. And I understand the pastoral aspect. You know, let's let's bring it down to the human level. But I'm the abstraction guy, so uh-huh. I want to give you the abstractions. Paul did not write this in a vacuum. No. Paul's assuming some background knowledge in the Old Testament here, in his readers. Mm-hmm. And so when he talks about things like unity of the spirit, the peace that binds us, one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all, he's assuming some theological <laughs> background. And yeah. so so that's drawn from Judaism. What's the most what's the most fundamental prayer, theological statement of Judaism? It's the Shema prayer, mm-hmm. Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Yeah. Or you, the Lord is one Lord. You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So he's assuming that. And so who is that Lord? That Lord is the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you guys are talking about not you know, you know, eliminating hierarchy and things like that. And that's all true on the on the nuts and bolts level of the church and how we come together as a community. But Paul's referencing us to look to God as our example. Christ mm-hmm. is our example. So here you have God the Father, not jealous of his son. The son, right. not, not covetous of the relationship that the spirit has with the church. Right. Yep. And that's what we're called to do in unity. We're supposed to be unified as the triune God is unified. Yeah. And that I think is the 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 theological background of what Paul's assuming here. I'm glad you said because it's interesting that on its own an organization will disintegrate. And we see this in the Old Testament to the point that it's still flabbergasted me that after you know the kingdom gets divided, Israel, Judah, I mean these guys are fighting each other, physically, blood, and they all came from Abraham. It's just like, how in the world could this happen? And then we think of the United States of America, we think of the Civil War, 
you know, and 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 fifty thousand people dead as we were fighting each other, and and it's interesting that Paul says make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. It isn't, you know, it, it's not worth it. You have to take effort. You have, must make an intentional effort to keep the unity. Now, on that note, here we are in the year 2023. I haven't Googled it lately, but how many denominations are there? <laughs> well, I think we're 2,000. And I don't, you know, and Jesus, of course, his prayer in John 17 was for the unity of the church. And, and we look at how organizations, institutions are prone to division. And, and yes, largely some of them are theological, others are relational. And, and Paul says, you know what? There is this sort of gravitational pull that's going to force organizations to almost disintegrate unless you have an intentional gravitational pull the other way. How does that, how does that, so I, I get the, the global, you know, the universal church, small C Catholic mm-hmm. church, right? That exists. I, I believe that exists. I think scripture is clear on that. Everyone who confesses Christ is part of the universal church. Right. We, that's in our, that's in our fundamental beliefs right. yep. that there's such a thing as the universal church. So, but how does that, um, how does that observation play to our context? Like, since we're in a particular congregation, I won't even talk about the denomination, mm-hmm. right? Because there's divisions in the denomination, right? Mm-hmm. There's liberals and conservatives. There's traditionalists and there's modernists. There's whatever. Right. Um, but in our own congregation, let's just keep it. I'll be the nuts and bolts guy here. How do we? How do we do that? Because if you can't hold a church body, a single congregation together. Well, what hope do you have of holding a denomination together? And if oh, I agree, or, or the global church. Yeah. So, in our congr- in a congregational setting, how does that play out? Like, what do we do to maintain unity? And I think it's it's a miracle. I, I when I was in seminary, one of my favorite pro- professors predicted that, and we're talking thirty years ago, that within ten years there would be a major major split in the church that hasn't happened maybe it's subterraneous i don't know but i think it's the grace of god we say okay i don't agree with this person or let's just pick ordination of women but they're still my brother or my sister in christ see i've i've talked about this for many many years and i view adventism because that's my touchstone that's Mm -hmm. what i grew up in okay as a giant umbrella, mm-hmm. and I'm always forever going on and on and on about how you should be able to believe, as long as our baseline theology is correct, what's beyond that is between you and the big man upstairs. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, and I like to use the Bible to explain the Bible sometimes, and I'm going to refer to Romans 14.1. one. Mm. Okay, and where it says, except other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what Mm. they think is right and wrong, Mm -hmm. because you can kill each other over this subject. Yep. And I I know. (laughs) Is that false flattery on Paul's part? Because we're all going to interpret that as well. Obviously, Paul would agree with me. Right. And not, <laughs> of course. And yes. not Tom or Pastor Rom. And so I won't bother arguing with these more simple minded, immature Christians. You know what I mean? Like, is Paul being, is that a little bit of false flattery there? Like, take it however you want? No, I think he's talking about unity. I mean, because you can chop and divide yourself constantly over jots and tittles. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you just go, okay, even though as humans, this is what we love to do. We love to subdivide and categorize and, and yeah. pigeonhole and shelf and all the rest of that sort of stuff. But what we're talking about is an argument exe- against that very idea and just say, we're Christians. We so, believe in Christ. Stop. And, and that's key. So because in verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
there are not multiple lords, multiple faiths, multiple baptisms. Why? One God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Even that person over there, going back to the opening prayer, God is in his images within all of us. Well, and this is Paul, you know, and I'm going to use maybe a wrong word, pushing his own theological stance, okay? Because the 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 earlier Christians, the 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 pre the Christians who were Jewish mm-hmm. had a real hard time with yep. this. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and even back then, they're like, whoa, "Whoa, hang on a second here, Paul. What are you trying to say?" Yeah. And and no, we don't agree with this. Yeah. Yeah. How how? But we're at fault for that too. Aren't Big we? time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah. Because for most of our history, at least since I'm going to go with, and I have reasons for thinking this that we don't have time to go into, but at least some from the death of Ellen G. White up through today, we have this sort of, we'll read this, we'll read this scripture, and we will interpret it as Paul's talking just about this movement that started in the 19th century in North America. Mm. Oh, yes. Yep. Right? And we ignore centuries of faithful Christians in the Reformed world, in the Catholic world, in the Eastern Orthodox world, these other groups of Christian believers who we have, we've sort of like hermetically sealed ourselves off from we have, I think we have a tendency to do that. Or we would have said, and I heard my grandmother say this all the time, if so-and-so were alive now, he would be in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously Paul's a Seventh-day Adventist. Jesus was a Seventh-day Adventist, guys. We all know this, right? <laughs> but on that note, it's interesting that Luther, Martin Luther did not want to start a new denomination. He was hoping to reform the Catholic Church. None of the reformers ever did. And so here's the crazy part. Right. So Luther starts a new denomination. Of course, that denomination split. Right. He got the EL- ELCA, you have the Missouri Synod, you have so even the church he Luther formed begrudgingly, they split. Well, except uh, Ellen White, some of the reading and historical reading I've been doing, Ellen White and her group, they only wanted to reform the churches that they were currently attending. They were. That's, that's how we got. They, they got pushed out. I mean, Luther got pushed yep. out. Mellon White and her group got pushed out, yep. not because they wanted to be that way, yep. but because everybody else in the, was like, no, 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 we're good. We we have the truth. Yep. You know, you got new weird ideas. Yeah. And they, and this leads us into this idea, this, this, this bad word called change. And uh, when new people come into an organization, we've been there, probably all three of us have had an incident, incident where we're like the new kid, the new face, and you're like, where do I fit in this whole group? This click, this group, will they let me in or keep me out, in or out? And hopefully they, you know, hopefully you're assimilated into the group, um, but some cases you're not. And, well, and and this is the this is the issue here, is sort of what's the uh, price of admission. Well, and that's why I think Paul was trying to keep it as simple as possible. Yep. Roger, what is the 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 affirming prayer that the first century Christians used to say? You quoted it to us before. It was this mantra of you know you could identify yourself as a Christian if you said da 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 da. Oh, I don't know. Uh, well, there's. Uh, from the book of Acts, you have Peter, the, the centurion goes to Peter and says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Right. There's that. The, one of the oldest prayers in Christendom is called the Jesus Prayer, and it is a mantra. Um, it's used as a, as a method of meditation, especially in like uh, Eastern Orthodox mystic circles, but it's Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right. But I mean, there was an identification process. It was like, if you quoted this and affirmed this, you were considered a Christian. Oh, Mm -hmm. believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he, uh, what is it, that that God raised him from the dead. Right, right. There you go. And and so, and that was it. Mm -hmm. That you had to affirm these very basic things. And then you were, oh, brother. And that was it. And then you stopped. 
after that, you didn't go, yeah, okay, are you from Rome? What church do you hang out at? You know, have you received the newest scrolls? You know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. It was, we're brothers because you affirm, you openly say these simplistic a, ideas, and you're done. And that's a good point. Because, so, and it's a good point because it moves us into the next section of the scripture. But, Pastor, I'm sorry, I don't mean to. No, I, I just want to mention, I believe this prayer was from Augustine. And it's a really good quote. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And and it's that that's a tall order. In essentials, that was unity. Augustine. Saint Augustine of Hippo. Oh, I think that's what it's. I'm just doing a quick search here on my phone as we're talking. Uh, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And, well, and, now the debate is what's essential. I, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, and 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 well, when we look here in the early New Testament, it was for crying out loud: Is Jesus Lord? Is yeah. He God? And it was so simple. If you believed that that this that Jesus, born of Beth in Bethlehem, was God in the flesh, that was it. Died and raised. Died and raised. That's that's it. And, and of course, largely this ties into Judaism, which is the understanding of the Messianic promises, the Old Testament, uh, going all the way to the Garden of Eden. And, and if you believe that, then that's the, I hate to say price of admission, but you know what, it's, it's a metaphor. That's the ticket in. Right. And, and, uh, um, and then Paul's saying, look, guys, here we are. We're all in the same boat. We're going to have to have be humble with each other, have to be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another, because again, there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so he's saying, okay, big picture, big picture, this is it, this is it. So, Can I read the next section? Please do. Because it follows follows directly, yeah, I know we do, and it follows directly from that, so uh, starting at verse 7. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. That's a quote to Psalm 68, verse 18. Citation. But what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? Mm. The one who descended is the same as the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Thank you. That focuses the picture a little bit. And if we slow down, the thing is when you slow down and really look at that verse by verse, mm-hmm. man, yep. we've heard it so many times that we, I think we, we kind of tune it out. Yep. But like really listen to what God is saying here. Yep. I mean, well, yeah, God's saying it. It's inspired scripture. But listen to what Paul's saying here. Yep. And, and it's interesting, he gets so practical about it, you have the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So five different individuals here, or, or categories of people. And, and it's like he's saying, okay, there's room at the table for everybody. It's not like, it's not just pastors, pastors, pastors. There's teachers, teachers, te- there's evangelists, and, and all this is part of the picture. And What's their responsibility to equip God's people? These roles, my friends, aren't the end. These are means to an end. These are means to an end. 
to build up the church, to help everyone feel equipped to do what they're called to do. And, and in, in our mode of thinking, some, that often doesn't happen. That does not happen. And that's to the detriment of ourselves, you know. And, and really, the, the ultimate goal is a church where everybody is doing what the God calls them to do. There's no nobody just, you know, coming in for 60 minutes and then leaving. Um, everybody has something to do. I mean, it could be the gift of prayer. It could be something. But you're doing something as yeah, part but, of the body of Christ. But what we run into is we think there's a... And this is a joke, so take it as a joke. But there's a lot of people that think that they all have the gift of exhortation. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And and the reality is is that the people who have the gift of exhortation, it's a small percentage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, if you've never run into somebody like that who you can go into, they can tell you what you're doing wrong. Yeah. You don't, you're not offended by it, mm-hmm. and you leave being just as friendly with that person as you did when you came in and they said, brother, you know, let's have a walk and a talk. Yep. Right? Now, now, now that's, I'm glad you brought that up, Tom, because what, what characteristics does that person have? And I think we just read it, humility, yep. gentleness. And you know that they care deeply about you well and they have a relationship with you on top of that right never have i had a stranger walk up to me and say you know i'm now going to correct your path and me listen to them okay i'm just saying yeah it doesn't usually work like no it doesn't it doesn't (laughs) but it it could it could it okay so yes all right so here and i know i think i know where you're going with this if we're both full of christ and we recognize like recognizes like, right? Spiritually things are spiritually discerned. And if a servant of God walks up to me and I can tell within, and we're all, as humans, we all do this. Within 30 seconds, we have the measure of a person. Yep. Okay. And if you know it and then they do it and you know that it comes from Christ and you recognize it as that, then yes, I agree completely with that. I wasn't going that direction, but I think you're right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was going to more like, uh, say, someone is driving by the church and they see the parking lot full and they go, you know, I'm going to go into this church today. Whatever mm-hmm. church it may be. Right. It might be this church. It might be the congregational church up the road. It might be the Baptist church down in downtown Clinton, wherever. But they say that church is parking lot is full and I've been meaning to go into a church. I feel compelled and they walk in and the pastor's preaching a, from a scripture and that particular day the pastor's preaching from a scripture that convicts the heart of someone. Mm. That pastor's a stranger, right? But it, but the word of God, and I think that's that's the thing. If we, we have to allow the word of God to do the talking for us, we can't, I think a lot of the, pe- the, the examples that you're going with is people, are, and this is where the humility comes in, people take your sin personally. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, you see, well, I'm a vegan <laughs> because um, it, that's just the tradition in the Seventh-day Adventist church is to be vegan or vegetarian, and I see you with a big, juicy T-bone steak, and I have I feel compelled to witness to you that you should not eat that <laughs> because... I'm a faithful vegan, and I, I say this half in jest, right. and I'm not talking about vegetarianism. I don't care if you eat meat or if you're vegetarian or whatever, uh, but I'm saying like whatever the case may be, like, oh, I'm convicted that, um, I don't know, we, we, this is one that goes around all the time, swimming on the Sabbath, right? Mm-hmm. I'm convicted that you you can go to the beach and pick up seashells, but you can't go in the water because then you'd be using your muscles and then that would be work and you know, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a, this is, this has like a long history of tradition Mm -hmm. and I go up to you and I try to convince you, right? I take it personally. I don't swim. I don't go in the ocean. So I have to go convince Tom or Anar Mm -hmm. that they shouldn't go in the ocean either. And again, I say this half in jest, but it's, and it's a silly example and that's why it sticks, but take more serious examples, right? And then you get to other parts like in Galatians where Paul talks about you know, meat sacrifice to idols and things like that. 
he's saying in charity, just accept other people. And this is where that big tent thing, right? The Adventist church becomes a tent (laughs) and there's room for everybody. But there's a challenge here because we need to accept the critic too. The critic could be right. They could be right. So if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, pastor or Anar, you, you are doing X, Y, Z wrong. I may totally disagree with them, but as hard as it is, I need to say, wow, that person may be in a rather, you know, clumsy way, talk to me about something. They actually thought my salvation could be in jeopardy, which hopefully I can get past the insult. Now, that's a miracle. And, and, or I can get past this issue, oh, yeah, they saw me at the beach in the water, you know, and, and uh, they're like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Well, it's easy to say, well, I'm going to push you away now because I don't agree with you. But grace helps us to see we need to uh, embrace the person in the water and out of the water. (laughs) Well, it also could be a teaching moment on your part, right? So if I come up to you after and I say, you know, Pastor, that sermon, you know, you really, um, you made some mistakes there. And these are your mistakes. Oh, yeah. You get past the insult, right? Because you're a magnanimous, well-seasoned, wise leader of the church. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I mean that, like I respect oh, you. No. So, but you see past the insult. You don't even feel insulted. You recognize my error. And so mm-hmm. now you can see like, okay, this person's in need of pastoral care mm-hmm. because they're operating in error. Maybe I can, by taking their accusation seriously, yep. I have a teaching moment opportunity. That's, and that's, that's what a, I've learned that being in the classroom. That's right. Yep. Because a kid could say, well, you know, I watched uh, Instagram and I learned X, Y, and Z, you know, yeah. and okay, all right, that's fine. Yeah. We'll roll with that. Now I can try and correct that mistake by taking the, the, the your intent with, with some light, maybe lightheartedness isn't the right word, but appreciating the, 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 the motive behind it. Well, my buddy Paul explains himself once again, and this is why, I mean, I understand we're, we're, we're studying Ephesians, and mm-hmm. it's a beautiful book, and there's some heavy, wonderful things in here. But I'm going to refer to Romans again, mm-hmm. yep. and go to Romans 14, 23, mm-hmm. all right? But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, yep. and whoever doesn't, isn't. Yep. Okay, yep. so could something be a sin for you that isn't a sin for me? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Paul is suggesting there. Yeah. Okay, so does that mean I go, yes, my T-bone is great. Aren't you jealous? No. <laughs> I think I think what you're saying, Tom, is that we're going to order a meatball pizza for lunch and have it delivered right here to the church. Oh, my. But it's interesting is, is in, on a different note, can the, can the person who, quote, believes that their dearly departed grandmother's in heaven, that it doesn't matter what day you actually do go to church and keep as holy, can they be saved too? And that's probably getting a little bit... Well, what does Sister White say? And and again, you guys are probably more versed in this. You can go to the chapter and book. But doesn't she say somewhere, or even in the Bible, it says that people will arrive in heaven and go, okay, where am I and who are you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I paraphrased it a little bit. I like But it's something paraphrase. around the, I, they won't know the name of Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, so if we get to that extreme, like you have no idea who you're looking at and say, who yeah. are you? Let's go down to the, oh, well, I didn't convert to veganism, so, you yeah. know, that's it. You're out. No, these are disputable things that yeah. are kind of irrelevant. And I... It's not irrelevant to those that think they're relevant. Okay. I need to edify people's belief systems. But it's not relevant to me who doesn't think it's relevant. Right. And I know that that's a hard concept because we're talking about unity here, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How do I call that a unifying message? If I say it's a sin for you, but not necessarily a sin for me, and I back it with biblical, you know, theology. And still remain unified with you. Yeah. I, I think, so something I really think we, we this 
will help us with if we look for a moment at verse 9 of Ephesians 4. Roger read it for us earlier. And it kind of, it's easy for us to sidestep it, but there's so much here, I think, that uh, really will help us in getting a holistic look at this here. Because let's pick it up in verse 7. And I'm reading, maybe that's not the best translation. Let me do, read the NIV. So, um, verse 7. But each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 8, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Verse 10, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And then it transitioned to verse 11. So God, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors, teachers, to equip his people, works of, works of service, so the body of Christ may be built up. Now it's interesting, I, as I look at this flow here in verse 12, um, it says there that key word is service. So to me, that helps me interpret a, a little bit better verse 8 in the sense that what did Christ do? He descended. Well, there's multiple, there's multiple meetings here. Okay, so you have Christ descending into Sheol, into death, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Okay, the lowest parts of the earth, into yep. basically the belly of the beast, the control of Satan, yep. all right? Yep. And he, you know, being dead under Satan's control fully for a, a, for a short time. But it also, the other part of this is he also stood up, put on the robes of a servant, and went and washed feet. Yep. Okay, so you have that duality of meaning, at least for me, mm-hmm. that says Christ was willing to descend and lower himself in service even unto death. Yep. Okay, and so for me, who am I to do any less? Exactly. And, and I think this is what Paul intentionally puts us in here. Because he says, okay, again, reality check. Um, look at what our Lord did. And he is our Savior, but also in the process, he's an example for us. And if he did this for me, what, can I, what else can I do? What else can I do? There's also... Again, I, I make reference, so that's a citation to Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, that particular paracope of Psalm 68, David is using uh, metaphorical poetic language. Mm. And he's talking about other mountain ranges looking enviously upon the mountain that God chose as his, the home of his temple. Mm-hmm. And so he uses that sort of image to say, like, why are you casting like these like envious looks on God's mountain? Like, that's where he lives, and that's just the way it's going to be. But God even uses the rebels. Yeah. God even uses the rebels, which is interesting language uh, for David. And so I think what Paul's application of that here is saying that, you know, you look at the pastor. I mean, I'm going to make it. Now I'm going to be the nuts and bolts guy. You look at the the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists Mm -hmm. and you go, "I, I have the gift of exhortation. I need, you know. Always be suspicious of the person who asks to preach. <laughs> oh, that's day one in seminary. Okay. Day one in seminary. When you have the guy coming and saying, Pastor, I would like to preach a sermon. Um, uh, well, anybody, you know, I would like to always be suspicious of the person who wants to preach. Um, but I think what, what more to the point, and this, is, this goes back to the conversation that we had off air before we started, and I think this is one of the major, major points. If I was speaking as an elder, if I was speaking to a church member and somebody says, I've been teaching primary Sabbath school for 10 years, and I don't, you know, I really, I want to contribute. I want to do something. You know, I'm just, I'm here with these little kids, and, you know, we're singing songs and we're reading memory verses, and I want to do something bigger. Well, guess what? You're doing something huge Mm -hmm. because there is a whole population of people. And this is just one example. There's a whole population of people who show up in church every week just because there's a Sabbath school class for their children. Right. Right. 
I am a member of the college church because Carl Hernandez taught cradle roll. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. All right, I was a member of the Sterling Church, yep. and I ended up teaching my kids every week mm. because there wasn't a lot going on. And that, that's not a, that's not a dig. If you're a member of the Sterling Church, it's not. I love you guys. <laughs> I had a great time there. I was an elder there. I was a deacon there. I did a lot of things there, and I had a great time, and I learned a lot. But I'm here at this congregation because Carl, for like I think a decade, easily mm-hmm. a long time, Carl ran probably the best cradle roll in North America. Wow! And I don't have a problem, Carl. If you're listening, like you were awesome, and he knows he's awesome, and he knows, and he has, <laughs> but he remembers. That's the cool thing. He remembers these yeah. kids, and he has kids that are adults now that he taught in cradle roll, yeah. and he says, "Oh yeah, I remember when we were singing, you know, Jesus loves me and whatever." So whatever the role you currently occupy in the church, when we talk about unity, like that, if you're the person that shows up every week and opens that classroom and sings songs with the kids and studies your 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 my little friend or whatever it's called now, it is our, our little is friend. it our, our little friend. Um, you study it diligently and you try to make it relatable to the kids. Like you are performing an invaluable service to the church. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're the person that's here handing out, if you're the, a person who's sitting there and smiling and, and a stranger walks into the church, you're performing an invaluable service to the church. And yeah. I mean, like, look, I, people come up to me all the time, like, you've heard about this thing that we're doing? You've heard about that? No, I don't. I mean, I hear reports on the church board or whatever, but I don't yeah. have any details because you know, my contribution, you know, I, I mean, it's kind of fun. I have fun doing this, but we just sit around and talk about the Bible. And I teach in Sabbath school on Saturday morning. We're pretty morning. blessed. We're pretty blessed. You know yeah. what I mean? But you have yeah. all these people that are doing all these little projects, right? And yep. they give up a little bit of their time, and all of that comes together. So even if you're the guy who's like vacuuming the church after the service, or mm-hmm. you're the person we call because the toilet's clogged, yep. man, you're, you're performing an invaluable service to the church, and all of those little moving parts ultimately come together into a whole. So don't ever feel shortchanged no. because you're not the guy standing in front of the church preaching and he's more important than you are. And what's weird, and believe me, I'm absolutely in agreement with you, and what's even stranger is when that person doesn't do it. Mm, yeah. I mean, you don't get a lot of, you know, we don't get a lot of thanks, you know, but if this lawn wasn't mowed or there weren't fresh oh, towels in the, in the dispenser over there, immediately yeah. everyone would be like, hey, what? So it's interesting. You, we've all familiar. I believe the backstory, we've all enjoyed Ben and Jerry's ice cream, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So I think the backstory is, and maybe it was a different flavor, but I think it was there, that brand, where when they started out, nobody, the CEO would never earn I think the number was more than five times the lowest paid uh, worker in the company. So you do some math, let's just make it easy, 30,000 times five, 150,000. Right. Now you look at today's world, and you could get somebody working for 30,000 in... Um, I got my quarterly bonus of $3 million. $3 million. Oh, that <laughs> $25 million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and stock options, right, and it's yeah. just it's just insane. And so, well, look at the look at Amazon drivers; they're out there zipping around town, putting their life in there on the line at times. I don't know what they earn, but let's just say fifty thousand. And you know, the head guy, Bezos, mm-hmm. oh, don't don't yeah. even need to say anymore. No. And it's just something. And and so that's not so we kind of take this mentality, guys. And we transfer that all over. It's sort of our, our go-to matrix. And this is how things operate. The church doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. You do not go become a pastor for money. You don't even do it for power. You really do it because the Lord has told you and has touched your life in a way that says, this is what you need to do. Or you've been told by others, you have a gift. You have a gift, and sometimes you don't even recognize it in yourself. Like, Hopefully, I never started out my life telling me that, telling myself I aspire to be a high school teacher. That was my plan. No, it wasn't. Okay, interesting. I started just you know in Pathfinders, and people are like, "Dude, you explain that really well." 
have you ever mm. thought about being a teacher? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, but you grow into these things. And eventually it was, well, maybe I'll give it a shot. Yeah. And and I've come to realize that I believe that I have been blessed with the gift of teaching. You know, because over the years, you know, others have affirmed that, not because I'm sitting here going, well, I've studied so much and, you know, my fruit salad at the end of my name, blah, blah, blah. No. You know, it's if others come to you and say you have it, you know, then you yeah. ask for the Lord's blessing on it. Yeah. That's good. That's good. It so. makes me think of uh, Amos, right? Amos is a shepherd, mm. and he's just out there in the wilderness hanging out with his sheep. And yep. God comes down to him and says, "Hey, I want you to write. I want you to write this down, right?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as far as we know, Amos didn't march into. I think he was Northern Kingdom, right? So he didn't march into Samaria and give his message to the the northern monarchy and mm-hmm. they were just like ah yes you know we need to appoint you to the the king's court and right. you know no he went in and he said you guys are screwing up and then he went back to his sheep <laughs> right as yeah. far as we know yeah. you know he just you know and that's i think that's one of the biggest lessons when it comes to unity is church unity ultimately comes from a whole bunch of individuals, differentiated individuals, by God's design, performing very small tasks, mm-hmm. not because, yep. not because they are after recognition or anything like that, but because they just faithfully perform mm-hmm. their tasks. Yep. You know. So, um, and on that note, Rod, Roger, I want to just say, let's get down to more nitty gritty too, in the sense that. If you walk into a corporation, there's sort of a hierarchy. Sure. And, and you know, where you work, and, you know, there's obviously you have the warden. Uh, the superintendent. Superintendent. And, and so, you know, you have this hierarchy. And so you may, well, boy, there's the superintendent. I got to smile, hi, shake his hand. And, but in this setting, I really believe Paul is saying everybody matters. I mean, there's no, everybody matters, and everybody has a place. And I go back to this word, this is, he's trying to create a safe place. He's trying to create a safe place for the the Jew who accepted that Jesus is the Messiah, for the Gentile, for the rich man, the poor man, the educated, uneducated, male, female. He's trying to do that. Mm-hmm. and And that can take internal, effort on our parts to say this person that a week ago I thought was an outsider is now claiming to believe the same Lord I believe in. Can I embrace him as my brother in Christ? And Paul is saying, you betcha you can. You betcha you can. And it's not just a safe place, but a place. Mm-hmm. Right, like uh, we all want to have our roles, right? Like yep. that's just part of the way we're made up. We want to have, we want a job to do. We want, uh, we want some sense of meaning or purpose. And I think the church and its various institutions um, ought to be a place where, because outside those institutions, again, I'll use the, I'll use the prison work environment, right? It's similar to a corporation. You have people who are just satisfied with being whatever, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to do my 20 years and I'm going to get my pension and I'm going to get out. And then you have the people who are like, well, I got to climb to the top, you know? Mm. And then you have people like me who are kind of like, well, I'm mid-level, right? I have a little bit of experience. I'm a mid-level supervisor. And so people are always saying like, where are you going to take the lieutenant's test? Are you going to try to go management? And I would say, no, absolutely not. Because I have contact with people. I have contact Mm -hmm. with inmates. I have contact with coworkers and, and I'm not, puffing myself up here at all this is just kind of how i'm just this is how i look at it like my place is i'm in i'm in the right place because mm. i have contact with everybody and because i'm a christian i look at my job as a mission field yep. and so i have contact with people and i can you know if i'm if i'm a superintendent i don't get to mentor young right officers mm. right so if i can influence some young officers to have balance and the right the right idea about 
you know, what the job ought to be or entail, then that's a bigger, that's a more important role than signing the paychecks or whatever. Well, same thing with teaching, right? I never wanted, I'm saying, I never wanted to be a high school teacher, but they called me out of the blue and said, Hey, we need somebody to fill in. And I ended up loving it. And I'm working on a fruit salad, (laughs) (laughs) but I was working on the fruit salad just out of my own, for my own edification because I enjoyed it and I end up, you know, just, and I have no desire. I don't want to be a principal. I don't want to, I just, I just like going in there and talking to the kids about knowledge and putting it in a Christian context. And so this whole thing flies in the face of modern secularism though. You were talking about those people that want to climb to the top. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, how many of us have found in certain jobs or in certain sort organizations that we've internalized this, well, if you're good at this, I got to shove you upwards yeah, to make you, because obviously that skill set will translate into something else. No, mm-hmm. not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul's saying. If you are good at this, yeah. okay, be satisfied, be okay with it because God's given you this gift and that's where he wants you to be. Now, I'm not talking about, okay, I'm the, and I don't know the, the sociological words that go along with it. I'm not talking about, like, if you have upward mobility it, it, it desires in your heart that you shouldn't do, try to do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like you were saying, Roger, the, the, the guy that says, I'm happy where I'm at. Don't mm-hmm. try to shove me someplace else. The sociological terms are role and status. Right, so we tend to assign a particular status to particular roles, and I think what the New Testament is telling us, what Paul's telling us in Ephesians, is don't associate a particular status with a particular role. Correct. Because in the church, everyone has the same status. I am a sinner saved by the grace of Christ because of the sacrifice that He made. Period. Doesn't matter if you're the guy in front or the guy in back. Right. Everybody's role is equally important. Right. The guy who yeah. fills the paper towel rolls in the bathroom yeah. is equally important as the president of the conference. Right? right? Nobody's... And that... We, there we is get, no hierarchy. We're going to wrap up here, but that's important that when we're in our church settings, corporate settings, um, to look everybody in the eye and say, you matter. I mean, you don't have to say those words, but to acknowledge them. And, and that in of itself is crucial to say you matter and and on that note we're going to wrap up here my friends um we it's just been a good discussion and i feel frustrated because i think roger had something to share and i want to cut cut him off but okay so he's he's okay with it all right so listen we are approaching the one hour mark we try to keep it less than one hour and uh we've been looking here at unity within the church and, and I pray that at wherever you are in your setting, that you are experiencing the unity that Paul wanted the church at Ephesus to have. I think that in of itself, especially in our contentious, uh, combative culture, is a profound miracle. We're not talking about walking on water and healing lepers and setting, uh, you know, giving sight to the blind. This is a different type of miracle, that people can be in the same building, the same body of Christ, love each other, even though they are very different on theological issues, political issues, sociological issues, but that we are all all one. So on that note, I'm going to ask Roger, would you pray for us as we, as we wrap up our podcast today? Sure. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to perform this this task, this simple task, just talking for an hour. And I pray that it would be a blessing. And I pray that for those who are listening, who are unsure about their role or status in the church, that you will confirm of them their status as a child of God, and that their role, whatever it may be in the church, is important, but that they do have a role to play. Someone there, someone listening may be feeling like they're not they're not working they're not doing what you are are asking them to do uh, for your church and i pray that you will convict them and that you will give us a spirit in the church of of open arms and open hearts and open minds where we'll be welcoming and in the words of paul that all of us together doing this will grow into a mature group of adults in the spirit that will follow you faithfully 
I pray for the forgiveness of our sins. I pray for everyone who's listening. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice you made on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Roger, thank you for your prayer. Uh, listeners, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your lives, and we pray that you will enjoy God's blessing the, re- the remainder of this day. May God be with you. If you are looking for a community, have some questions about the discussion, or would like to participate in a live Sabbath school class, please join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. for Sabbath school and 11.15 for our worship service at 337 Main Street, South Lancaster, Massachusetts. This has been a production by the College Church's Communication slash Media Ministry. If you were blessed by this podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe. Join us next week for another lesson and let us all remember to love more, grow more, and serve more.